We'll be looking again in Romans chapter number 8. Looking back over last week, I was kind of amazed at how much we didn't cover in those first couple of verses. Uh, Those first couple of verses have even more in them than... uh, than I realized even last week. I was As I was studying over this section of scripture for this week, uh, there was stuff I started seeing in verses 1 through 4 that almost make you want to go back and cover verse 1 through 4 again. But in verses 5 and 6, which is where we'll, we'll kind of center our attention tonight, what Paul does is he shows us three different things specifically. He shows us two groups of people, Two minds and two diseases or two destinations, whichever way you want to reference that. And when we get to it, you'll see the reason. But he points out these two groups, what Paul in essence is doing. And and I don't know if, if anybody's noticed this, but he constantly throughout his writings in the book of Romans has taken, he's almost taken two steps forward and one step back. Almost like he, he covers two steps worth and he steps back and starts to cover what he covered there before he starts to go forward again. So he's, he just, he's making very, very clear that he's covering all the material that he's sending to this Roman church as clear as he can. And if we remember back from the beginning, it's because he had written this as a forerunner. He never, he didn't know, he wanted to go to Rome. That was his intention, that was his desire, but he didn't know if he'd ever get there. So he sent this ahead of him or in place of him. And that's why he's been so particular about the way that he's written. That's the reason he's covered things in such detail and even has a tendency to back up and make sure that we've understood what he's talking about when he says it. That's the reason he does what he does in the end of chapter number 3 and going into chapter number 4. End of chapter 4 and going into chapter number 5 and especially end of chapter 5 and going into chapter number 6 where he uses those phrases, well, if this means this, then that then we can do this. And he says, God forbid, don't even think about it that way. Put that as far away from you as you can, as you can because I don't want you leaving thinking that's, the, that's what's going on. I don't want you leaving thinking that's how, how I'm trying to teach you things are. And he's doing this again in chapter number 8. Verses 5 and 6 say, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. What Paul is doing as he's going into the rest of this chapter, he's going to start talking about being led by the Spirit. He's going to start talking about our anticipation for glory, our anticipation of our glorification. That's what he's going to start talking about. But he goes back again, and he's wanting to give the gospel again, even in these verses. We understand from verse number 1 that he's already said there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, One of the things that I had found out this week is in the 
the Latin translation of the scriptures that we have. And, and when Erasmus translated the scriptures that were used to translate the King James, he translated them into Latin. And the Latin word that was used for condemnation is the exact word that we get damnation. So in a sense, not only are we not condemned, but we're not damned either. We're not condemned by God and we've not been damned to hell. We don't stand under any damnation before God. But in verse number 1, we see that there's a stipulation to that. There's a stipulation to not being under condemnation. And that's to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what he does again in verse number 5 and verse number 6. He specifies these two groups of people. He says there's going to be two groups of people that we can see in this scripture. And it takes us back again to chapter number 7. Chapter number 7 said that the flesh was there to keep us from fulfilling the law. It keeps us from Christ. Our flesh is keeping us from Christ. It's a barrier between us and Christ. Our nature does not want to do the things that God wants it to do. Our nature doesn't want the God that created it. Our nature is, is separated itself from God. And Paul, again, is pointing that out. He says there's two groups of people. We can see that here in the text. He says, number one, the first group are they that are after the flesh. And he begins all of this out with the word that he did or used twice last week for, or because. So if we back up and we read verse number four, he says, the righteousness of the law, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And we saw last week that the righteousness of the law is love. And he repeats what he said in verse number one, who walk after, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And we again, we looked at that in verse number one. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And these aren't, these aren't stipulations to get to Christ. But these are evidences of being in Christ. What Paul's beginning to draw here is that a spiritual life is a life that is in Christ. We're, we're not living towards the Spirit in order to gain salvation... We're not living towards the Spirit in order to gain a glorification. We're living towards the Spirit because we are in Christ. That was the battle Paul had in chapter number 7. He knew who he was. He had his mind. He knew who he was in his mind. But he was battling against the urges of his flesh. It was the battle of his mind and his members. And in verse number 5, he's repeating what he said in verse number 4. So he says... Who walk at, not after the flesh, but after the spirit, because they that walk, or for, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. So again, he's pointing us back to the fact that if we see the evidences of flesh played out in our lives, then that's evidences that we're not in Christ. Because the spiritual man walks after the spirit. If the spirit's in us, and all the things that he's going to talk about as he goes down through chapter number 8, if that spirit is in us and all that empowering is in us, then things are going to show up in a specific way. Things are going to be evidenced in a specific way. 
So first person in that group of two is those that are after the flesh. What this kind of calls to us is to those that are dependent on the flesh, those who desire the things of the flesh. One of the best ways that I had seen this illustrated was from Adrian Rogers. He said, if you take the word flesh and write it backwards, obviously you have to make the H silent, but if you take the word flesh and write it backwards, it would be H S E L F. Self. And he said that he said most of the time when you're reading the word flesh in chapter seven, eight, etc. in the book of Romans, you're reading about self. So what we could come to this and see is that those that are after the self do mind the things of themselves. Those are after the flesh, you mind the things of the flesh. And we see this all very, very clearly put in Galatians chapter number 5. And if you want to turn over there really quickly, you can. You don't have to. But Galatians chapter number 5, we know here, we read of the fruit of the Spirit, the product of the Spirit, the producing of the Spirit, what comes from the Spirit. But chapter 5 verse 16 through 21 gives us another set of fruit, another set of produce, so to speak. 16 through 21 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust, the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These things are contrary one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, or the fruit of the flesh, are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that these which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That specifically, and Paul even, he said, he even gets to the end of the list, and he says, he says, and such the like. He's, he's almost to the point where he's saying, I could go on, but you get the point. These are the fruit of the Spirit. And we can see that that's what our flesh produces. Our flesh produces corruption. Paul mentions that again in Galatians chapter number 5. The works of the flesh are works of corruption. And I've made, I've made the analogy before. If if a dog is dead on the side of the road, he's producing no good thing. There's nothing good coming from a dead animal on the side of the road. He's going to produce corruption. He's going to produce stink. He's going to produce filth. He's going to produce just getting in everybody's way. He's going to produce a lot of bad things. And that's what the flesh produces, for lack of a better term. And that's 
basically what Paul's saying there toward the end of that sentence in Scripture. When he says such the like, he said he basically could say a bunch of bad stuff. There's a bunch of bad things that are coming as products of the flesh. In verse number 6, we can see that ultimately it produces death. Verse number 5, he says, The flesh... After the flesh, do them do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are of the spirit do mind the things of the spirit. For the carnal, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The word here, without getting too much into the second point, the word here that is used, he says that they that are after the flesh do mind. That's that means that's what they want, that's what they desire, that's what they enjoy. That's what the, the, the works of the flesh, the person who is carnally minded, the person who is of the flesh, the person who is unregenerate, who is unsaved, not only produces this corruption, they produce adultery and revelry and lasciviousness, all of these things, but they enjoy the producing of those things. That's what they want, that's what they desire. If we can look at ourselves and our desire is to produce corruption, then we need to evaluate if our trust is truly in Christ. If what if what if I go out and, and plant a tree that is growing a completely opposite kind of fruit than the one that I thought I had planted, then I need to reevaluate what the tag on that plant said, and if the tag was wrong, I need to reevaluate where it was sitting at the place that I bought it. Because there's something wrong. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if you have a mind that is after the flesh, that's its mindset is toward itself. If your mindset is toward yourself, you're producing fruits of corruption and you enjoy and revel in those fruits of corruption. Your desire is for those fruits of corruption. Your desire is for yourself. Then you need to double check and make sure because this is not what a spiritual man looks like. And again, what we're seeing is Paul taking us back to the gospel. He said, reevaluate. Make sure that your trust is in the right place. Make sure that you have believed in Christ. Make sure that your trust is specifically not in yourself. It's not something that you did or something that you said or in the way that you've lived because all that will produce is the desire for those wrong kinds of fruit. So that's the first group that we see. The second group are those that are after the Spirit. In the same way that those that are after the flesh depend on the flesh and go after the things of the flesh, those that are after the Spirit depend on the Spirit. By default, that's who their dependence is set on. And we see that again in verse number 5. He says, They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Basically what Paul's doing is he's saying the exact same thing. If you mind the things of the flesh, you're after the flesh. If you, or if you're after the flesh, you mind the things of the flesh. If you're after the Spirit, you mind the things of the Spirit. That's what Paul was saying there. They're dependent on the Spirit, but not only are they depending on the Spirit, but back to Galatians chapter number 5, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. What Paul is saying there in verse number 24, he says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. What Paul is pointing us back to even there is it's the work of Christ that is producing this. We're not crucifying our flesh to produce the works of the Spirit because they're not our works to begin with. The works in our flesh, those are our works. But Paul specifically says there, he says, these are the fruit of the Spirit. They belong to the Spirit. They're not our fruit at all. John 15 explains this to us. He said, if you want to bear fruit, there's one condition. Abide. That's it. And he already said that if I abide in you, you abide in me. You can't stop that production. These things are going to be produced. And I'm not saying it's going to be produced at the same rate in everybody's life, but these things will be produced. The Spirit will produce its fruit for the person that is in the Spirit, just like the flesh will produce its fruit from the person that's in the flesh. Jerry Bridges put this in a way that I had never heard but I thought was fabulous. He said that the spiritual life is not what some falsely teach as let go and let God. And I've, on the way to work, there's a church that I pass on the way to work, that's on their sign right now. It says let go and let God. And that's the way, if we are careful, that we'll come to a spiritual life. We're saying, well, we just need to let go and let God. But what he said, he said it, it can be more aptly put... Letting God lets go. And in essence, what Jerry Bridges was saying, he said, if you can back up and see who you are, these things will be produced. We're not letting go and letting God produce. We're letting God produce, and that makes us let go. It's opposite. Just like everything else in Christianity in America, we got it backwards again. The purpose in our spiritual life is to let God and that causes us to let go. This, that's going to cause this production of fruit in our life and we're going to see that because that's our mindset. That's what we're after. Just like if we're in the flesh, we're after ourself. If we're in the spirit, we're after the spirit. And it's not saying there aren't times when I'm going to get up in the morning and do selfish things. But if my mind is constantly, all the time, only on selfish things, then I need to reevaluate where my trust lies. I need to reevaluate the roots of that tree. I need to make sure that it's the Spirit who is producing the fruit in me because the fruit that I'm seeing with my drive being towards fleshly things from the time that I lay down to the time that I get up and the rest of the day throughout... Again, there's an issue. So you see the two groups. There's a carnal-minded person who is unregenerate, and there's a spiritual-minded person who is regenerate. 
The unregenerate is bringing forth fruits of themselves, and the Spirit is bringing forth fruits of the Spirit. Not only do we see two groups, but again in chapter number 5, we see two minds. And these minds also are pointing to a habitual thought process. It's not that we don't think about the wrong things and we don't have the wrong motives, but it's about the habitual part of that. If we're habitually, constantly, all the time, have the mind towards the flesh, or we constantly have the mind towards the spirit. And there may be people who have the mind towards the flesh that you may look and say, well, that's some spiritual things there, but it's not habitual. And if it's not habitual, odds are that even those spiritual fruit are really corrupt on the inside because they are born out of selfishness or born out of pride or born out of self-righteousness. We have the two minds, the mind that is set on the spirit. And this word mind that Paul uses in chapter number five is one of the most intriguing words that I've ever looked at. I, I, I enjoy looking at the words and the grammar and the scriptures. I enjoy seeing what was being said. It's probably partially my mom's fault, but that's what I enjoy looking at. I enjoy seeing how the grammar is set in there and how the words, what they mean, where they come from, what they say, where else they've been used. But the word mind here, it gives kind of a multi-tiered idea. It's not just what we think about, but it is our mindset, what our mind is set on. I can tell people that I've had a conversation with that I can say, well, you know, here's what I'm thinking and here's my mindset. So it's not just here's what I'm thinking, but here's the reason that I'm thinking it. This is what's making me think this way. And I like to find out from other people that I'm talking to, well, where's, where's your mindset on this? Where's your direction? I, I, see, I see what you're drawing here, but show me where you're coming from so at least, even if I disagree, at least I understand what you're saying. I want to be able to understand where you're coming from. And that's what Paul's saying. He said that there is a mindset of the flesh. All of this stuff coming through these two groups are coming from a mindset that these two groups have. It's starting somewhere, not necessarily on the outward, but it's starting somewhere on the inward. Just like Paul had said in chapter number 7, his mind was warring with his members. It was starting somewhere inward, and it was warring with what was going outward. The mindset, or the setting on of the mind, in verse number 5, is a present tense verb. What he's saying, he said, this is what's going on right now. These carnally minded people, right now, in this very instant, are heading toward carnal things. It wasn't that they did it yesterday or they did it tomorrow. Right now, that's where they're headed. And by default, that's where the spiritual mind is. That's where they're headed. That's where their mindset is. It's present tense. Not only is it producing the fruit of the flesh, but again, its desire is that production of that fruit. It wants that. It wants that to play out in their life because that's where their mind is. Their actions are showing where their motive is. They're where their mind is set towards. Ultimately, it's pointing toward the goal that they're wanting to get to. They're catering to those desires 
and to those fruits because they've got a goal in mind. They're doing everything that they can to make sure that these fruits show up as good as they can because they have a goal in mind. Just like Cain, he didn't bring the worst fruit that he had. He brought the best. He catered to the best fruit to bring to God. But the best fruit that Cain could produce was corrupt because it wasn't what God had said. It came from Cain. It was not... And and that's even where we start to see the gospel way back in the book of Genesis. Adam's obedience, why Adam brought, it was alien to himself. It wasn't of himself. Abel had no dealings in how that lamb was born. If it was born without spot and blemish, he didn't do that. Adam didn't have anything to do with that sacrifice. All he did was brought it. He said, here, this is what we've been told to put our trust in. I don't understand it. It's nothing that I did. It's nothing that I could have done, but here it is. And God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice because it was an alien sacrifice. With us, God is pleased with Christ because Christ is not of us. It's not, we didn't produce Christ. We didn't fulfill the law in Christ. We had nothing to do with Christ. We just bring ourselves to the cross and say, I don't understand it. It's nothing that has to do with me, but this is what you said. This is all I've got. But it came, being in the flesh, brought something that he produced. And that's what people in the flesh will do. They'll bring things that are produced by the flesh, catering to the flesh, Bring those things for a goal in mind. But in verse number 6, we see what the goal is. And this is what point number 3 is, the destination. Verse number 6, the carnal mind is death. Whether they admit it or not, they're heading as fast as they can toward death. The fleshly mind, the fleshly mindset is presently producing fruit catering to that fruit in order to achieve one day the great prize of death. That's what it's going to get. So that's the first mind that we see. The second mind, to the like, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So if those that are after the flesh do mind or have the mind or have the mindset or have their mindset or the goal is the things of the flesh then they that are after the Spirit have the mind or the mindset or the goal of the things that are after the Spirit. I don't pretend to know Greek, but according to some of the commentators that I read, Paul, the reason that this is is laid out like it is is because when Paul wrote it down, he used a a little twist in Greek grammar. Again, I don't claim to understand all that. I'm just going based off of what I read. But the little tweak there, if it's true, I'm assuming I'm going off somebody's word, it blew my mind. Because when he uses the word or the wording for mind in the spirit. And the reason that we don't see it exactly that way, because it doesn't say 
Now, it's, it's, it's insinuated that it's the things, those who mind the things of the flesh are after the flesh. It's insinuated that the, those things are after the spirit mind the things of the spirit. But he doesn't actually say that. It says, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So he uses do mind the things, and he says are after. So it's a little bit of a difference. The word that he uses here isn't mind. It's diaphragm, which when I read that, I was like, I, I was like, obviously this guy has been smoking something because that doesn't make any sense. But I started to think about it. I was even talking to Lindsay about it yesterday. And Miss Amy and Miss Joy are going to understand some of this more than I did because I did, I made a C in anatomy in high school. So I don't grasp all of it. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the lungs don't do the work. It's the diaphragm. The pressure changes. The diaphragm moves up. The air goes out. The diaphragm moves down. The air comes in. And that's correct, right? Basically. Layman's nutshell, that's basically how the diaphragm works. The diaphragm regulates the intake of air. So we don't take in too much air. We take in enough it regulates how much we're taking in, how much we're taking out. Regulates that we're not holding our breath for too long if we're not trying to. And the other thing that I found interesting is that the diaphragm is involuntary. When I go to sleep at night, I don't die because the diaphragm is moving up and down in my sleep. Just like my heart's beating in my sleep. My heart's beating right now, and I have no... I have no I can't stop my heart that I know of. I can't make it beat faster that I know of other than maybe running. But the diaphragm, while it is involuntary, we do have some control. There are, when, I'm, when we sing, there are times that I'll breathe in and breathe out at the wrong times and end up getting out of breath because I have put myself into the work of the diaphragm. And by being involuntary, obviously, it's not always noticeable. We don't always notice that we're breathing in and out. But the fact that Paul uses that word differently in the spirit than he does in the flesh, and y'all have probably come to some of these conclusions already, it shows us what the spiritual life really looks like. We are responsible, but we're not dependent on ourselves. If I get up tomorrow and I sin and I do wrong, and I don't live after the Spirit, I'm responsible for that. But if I get up tomorrow and I do live towards the Spirit, I'm responsible for making those choices just like I was if I made the wrong choices. But the difference is, while I'm responsible for making the choices that God has said to make, I'm 100% dependent on the Spirit to work that in me. I can't do that without the Spirit. The Spirit regulates the way that I live. There are times that I do things and there's something inside of me that goes, whoa, that was not what you were supposed to do. Or there's other times that you're somewhere and you feel that nudge to do something specific. The Spirit's regulating. It's sometimes involuntary. There are times that 
I do things, I react in ways, and after it's over, I'm thinking, how did I even do that? That doesn't make any sense that I acted that way. I wasn't thinking about acting that way. It was involuntary. It just kind of came. There's times that I don't even notice that it's happening. When I may be struggling spiritually, honestly, the times that I notice my breathing the most is when I'm in a struggle. If I'm struggling to do something, if I run more than 100 feet, there's struggles that happen. And I notice this, this work, this breathing that's going on. There are going to be times that we deal with sin and we're going to notice this war happening. But the fact of the matter is, Paul is saying in chapter number 8, verse number 5, that those that are after the Spirit... The things of the Spirit. It's happening because you have the Spirit. It's not just a mindset that you have, but you're completely dependent on the direction that your new mind is taking you. You don't wake up in the morning and try and figure out how you can... In the flesh, you may wake up in the morning and figure out how you can get ahead that day, whose head that you have to step on, who you have to push out of the way, what you have to do in order to achieve the means that you want. Well, I've got to do this in order to be at this place at this certain time so that I can do this thing and indulge in this sinful lifestyle. You have your mind set on those things. But in the spirit, you may get up and you may go to work and you may react spiritual ways and not even realize it because that's the working of the Spirit. If we look at our lives, we can see these two groups. We can see people who are driven towards themselves and people who are resting in Christ. Our drive should be towards the prize, the call, the, what Paul called the high calling of God. But what we are promised is that he that begun a good work would finish it. He's going to perfect it. He's going to make it complete. And that's the difference in the two minds. You've got one that that mindset is directed and they're going full force as far and as quick as they can go in that direction. And you've got the spiritual mind who sometimes doesn't even realize how they're bringing the spiritual fruit. They don't even know where it's coming from. They just know that it's happening. So these two groups have two minds, and these two minds have two destinations. One of the verses really quickly that you can look at is Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 23. Paul, when, when Jesus rebukes Peter, he says, Get thee behind me, Satan. And basically tells him, Your mind's not on spiritual things. Your mind's on carnal things. Your mind's in the wrong place. Romans 14 and 15, when we get to it, Paul will make statements like, let this mind be in you. And these are other places where we can see that mindset that we need to have to be spiritual. But we see these two destinations. Thirdly, see these two destinations. I term these two destinations or two diseases because verse number 6, in essence, is giving us the conclusion to the symptoms that we have. Or where we're going to end up. 
Verse number 6, he says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So the destination of the fleshly mind, the destination of the carnally mind is death. You're going to die spiritually and you're going to die physically. That's where you're going. The harder you go at a homosexual lifestyle, the more likely that you are going to get AIDS and you're going to die quicker than you probably would have otherwise. And even if you don't die in that specific way, outside of the trusting and outside of trusting in Christ, you're going to die the eternal death and face the wrath of God because you, as opposed to those that were in Christ, were under condemnation. You were under damnation. That's the destination of that fleshly mindset. Not only are they headed towards death, but they are before God dead. They stand before God dead. That's the destination of the flesh, the destination of that carnal mind. And that's the reason that Paul, when Paul talks to the Corinthian church and says, don't be carnally minded, he's basically telling them, you're saved. if you're saved, don't act like you're not. It was that simple. Paul's not saying that there was different divisions of Christians. He was saying, if you're saved, you're saved. No ifs, ands, and buts. But don't act like you're not. That's, that was his whole thing. Where there's two groups, carnally minded and fleshly, or carnally minded and spiritually minded. The symptoms of the spiritual life, or the symptoms of the spiritual mindset, are life and peace. These word life and this word peace are words that mean satisfaction and tranquility. But it also points to that we have peace with God. Whereas we are dead before God, if we're living towards the flesh, if we're living towards the Spirit, we have peace with God. Not only do we have peace with God, but we have the peace of God. We're no longer at war with God. We have peace with God in that, in that, in that military sense. But we have the peace of God in our life. We can get up from day to day resting in a peace that we've got the spirit that we're 100% dependent on. The essence of this spiritual life is found in Christ. Back to verse number 1. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. And if you wanted to walk these verses backwards, you could, because he uses the word for over and over and over in this short section of Scripture. This word for, again, it means because. So if you wanted to say because of this, this, because of this, this, because of this, this. But if we track it all back to the conclusion, if we track it all back to the root, if we track it back to where it started, it's those who are in Christ. And that's why I say the essence of the Christian life is found in Christ. If we're in Christ, that's the essence of this spiritual life. And the reason that Paul does what he does here is because he's dealing with glorification in this chapter. He's dealt with justification chapters 3, 4, and 5. He's dealt with sanctification in chapters 6 and 7. And he's transitioning into that, just, into that glorification. And the reason that Paul is telling us all of this is because this will propel us towards our glorification. This will propel us towards the finish line. This will push us that direction knowing that we are responsible, we are dependent on the Spirit of God. And over the next couple of weeks, that's what we will begin to see. We'll begin to see the Spirit's work in us. Things like when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays for us, interceding for us. 
Things when we don't know what to do, the Spirit is there guiding our steps. Things when we feel like we're not saved, the Spirit's in us crying, I'm a Father. There's all these things that the Spirit produces, but Paul starts out making sure that those people that he's talking to know that they are living a spiritual life. And it all points us back to being in Christ. What, what we tend to do, what tends to happen with us, is we tend to try and shove all of these things into the spiritual life that Paul's talking about. We read spiritual life and our mind, our fleshly mind, mind you, automatically goes to, well, what do I have to do to live this spiritual life? What do I have to do to get there? If Paul says that the spiritual life is peace, what do I need to do? But Paul, again, is showing them it's not necessarily what you do because Christ has already done it in you. You're in him. An illustration that I heard that it may be kind of a lame illustration, but said that there was a science professor that had come into a classroom and he gave every kid a jar and then he gave them a bunch of components that he said he wanted put in the jar. He gave them a bunch of rocks, he gave them gravel, he gave them sand, and he gave them water. And he said, I want all of this in the jar. I want all of it in here when I come back. He leaves, he comes back. There's some people who poured the water in first and tried to mix everything into it. There was water and sand all over their desk. Other people had poured the sand in first and then tried to stick the big rocks into the sand and then poured the gravel on top of it. But when they poured the water on it didn't go anywhere. It just went all over the place. When he came back, what he did, he took the components, he took the jar, he put the big rocks in first, then he poured the gravel in, then he poured the sand in, and then he poured the water in, and it worked. It was what it was supposed to be. And that's what Paul's whole book so far has been to us. Paul's not saying you need to do all these things in order to live a spiritual life. You need to, and I know that seems to be a common theme around here, but it's not things that we do that makes us spiritual. It's not the things that we do that puts us on a pathway to God. It's the Spirit in us. And that's why Paul does what he does in every one of his books. He takes those big theological rocks... He drops them in first. And looking at those, we may not understand what in the world that has to do with anything. But then he starts to put the gravel in. And then he starts to put the sand in. And by the end of the book, he's normally poured the water in. And we see here this perfect picture of a Christian life that obviously Paul had obtained to. But we know from chapter number 7, he hadn't. It was through the Spirit that Paul was writing to the Romans the same way that he would write to the Corinthians the same way he would write to the Ephesians, the same way he would write to the Thessalonians, the same way he would write to Timothy, the same way he would write to Titus, the same thing he would write to Philemon, everything that he wrote, everything in the New Testament, everything in the Old Testament, it's all pointing us to one person, pointing us to Jesus Christ. And if we see that, that is the spiritual life. Again, I, I can't stress too much that 
is to them that are in Christ. And we just need to back away, allow the Spirit to do what it does in us. When we gather together, when we come to Scriptures, when we come to Scriptures, whether it be the morning or the evening, on the ride home from work, wherever it may be, and allow God to do those things in our life. Pull our hands off of it. Mind, understand that we are responsible to live the way that God has told us to live. But we just need to depend on Him. If we're going to live a spiritual life, we need to depend on Him. Because when we get our hands in it, we end up like the Corinthians. Stop. Paul says, stop, stop, just stop. Stop it. You're making me look bad. But that's what they were doing. They were trying to get their hands all in it. And they were looking like they were carnally minded, even though Paul calls them spiritual people. He said, you're looking like you're trying to be fleshly because you're getting hands in it too much. You've got to be dependent on the Spirit. And that's what we'll get to as we continue through chapter number 8. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the day that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity to meet together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for a complete copy of your word. And thank you for a complete copy of your word, Lord, that teaches us about you. Lord, as as great as we may think that it would be for you to speak audibly directly to us, you've done much better than that. Lord, you've spoken to us through your son. You've given us the words about your son. And that's the means that you've given us to grow. That's the means that you've given us to enhance the spiritual life that we're called to live. I pray that you'll help us to see that, that this week you'll keep that on our minds, make our mindset be toward you, toward the things of God, and help us to find peace and rest there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.